Okay, so Palm Sunday is, um, is a significant event. We see this because it is recorded in all four Gospels. So the, the writers of the Gospels would, would um, record different events at different times, whatever they felt was important. You know, they, they, some of them left out things that others didn't, but no one left this out because this wasn't just something that happened. This was a significant event. This was part of, of Jesus' journey to the cross. And it starts with Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. So the time had, had, had arrived, Jesus was ready to publicly proclaim who he was. You would often hear him say, okay, don't tell anyone that I healed you. Or to the disciples, he was like, don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. Like they were keeping it under wraps, especially when they were near Jerusalem. But, but now was the time. Jesus was ready to, to tell or to, to show the Jewish nation who he was. And so this time, he didn't stop the, the disciples from praising him. He didn't stop them from telling people because he was like, I'm ready to make my claim as the Messiah, as the king of the Jews. This story is about Jesus telling the Jewish nation who he is. So just to set the, the scene a little bit, anyone go to the garden route over December? Anyone find themselves in the garden roof? It's just me and you, baby. Okay, there's a few. <laughs> okay. So the garden roof is chaos in December. There's a reason you don't go because you can't move, okay? You can't drive anywhere. You can't go to the shops. By the time you actually spend an hour getting into the parking lot, you finally get into the shops and you walk into checkers and there's like two little drumsticks on the shelf because everything is sold out always in the garden roots over December. Now, this was Jerusalem over Passover, Okay, it was past the feast, the, the celebration of Passover. And so there were thousands of people that had flocked to the city to come and celebrate the feast of Passover. But not only that, Jesus had gained this huge um, following. So especially one of the events that had happened just before this was when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So he raised somebody from the dead, somebody that people knew died, and four days later, he was alive. They watched him walk out of the tomb, wrapped in his tomb clothes, and he came alive. And so this started this massive following of Jesus. So obviously, people had been following him. They'd heard his teachings. They'd heard like they were like so impressed with his wisdom and how, with, how he preached with such authority, and they had seen him do all these miracles. But then he raised someone from the dead, and suddenly, there was this huge gathering around, and everybody wanted to see Jesus. And those that weren't there had been told about it, and they were like, did, did he raise somebody from the dead? Wait, who is this man? Could, like, could he be the Messiah? And there was this like, excitement and expectancy. And so, so Jesus came with this huge following, plus the city was filled with people. So, and all the introverts are like, oh, like freaked out right now. Okay, that's, that's, this is what Jesus was going into. Again, we're going to read the story from Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal 
of a donkey. So Jesus knows exactly where this donkey is going to be. He knows that they're going to be okay for him to use it. They go and find the donkey, and this fulfills one of the over 400 prophecies about the Messiah. This, the, in Zechariah 9 verse 9, we can see that, that um, it was prophesied that Jesus would go into Jerusalem, that, that he said, your king is coming, Jerusalem, but he's, he's going to be humble and riding on a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So the people that were following him started as he's riding into Jerusalem. So it's like a hill coming down and they're riding into Jerusalem and people start taking off their cloaks and running in front of him and, and laying it on the ground in front of him so that as he rides on, and this is, this is a royal treatment. This is what would happen if a king came back from, from battle victorious. They, he would come in, not on a donkey, he would come in on a, on a horse with, I don't know, maybe chariots or some sort of procession behind him. But Jesus, the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, didn't come in on a horse. He came in on a donkey, which is a sign of, of peace and humility, but he gets this royal treatment, and people start cutting down palm branches, and they're waving it, which is a sign of victory. They would wave branches when they came back and won a war, so they were waving these palm branches. They were throwing it in front of him, and there's this royal procession happening. Okay, and then the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? So they start shouting, Hosanna, um, what? to the son of David. Okay, and the son of David is a reference to the Messiah, because the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. So they're saying, Hosanna to the, the Messiah. Hey, this is the, this, is the, this is the Messiah, not the Hosanna. This is the Messiah that has come. And it starts stirring this question, who is this? Who is this? And Hosanna, is, it's become, or it became a form of praise, but the word actually means save us. So they're actually shouting, save us, save us, which is so prophetic because that is exactly what he came to do. But they didn't understand how yet or who, who exactly he was. And so they're asking this question, who is this? Who is this? And then the religious rulers come out. So everyone's coming out of their houses, and they're like, what is going on? Is there a king here? Like, like why is there a royal procession happening? What's happening here? And the, the rulers come out, and they are furious. They're like, Jesus, why are you letting people worship you? Like, like why don't you rebuke your disciples? And I love what Jesus says. You know, Jesus, just read the Bible. You'll, Jesus is so cool, man. Okay, in, in, in Luke's, when, in Luke's uh, telling of the story, he says, Jesus replies, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. How cool is Jesus? He's like, I can't tell them to be quiet. The rocks are going to cry out if they're, if they're quiet because I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords and I will be worshipped, whether it's through the people or whether it's through the, my other creations, I will be worshipped. And so, well, the, the people are all asking, who is this? And the Pharisees are like, who the heck does he think he is? But the disciples know who he is. They know who Jesus is. And because Jesus asked them this very question, 
a couple of chapters back in Matthew 16, from verse 13 to 18. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So people were confused. They were like, I don't know, maybe John the Baptist came back to life. Um, they know that there's a prophecy of a, uh, that Elijah's going to come back, although that was, John, that was actually John the Baptist that fulfilled that prophecy. But they, they're not sure. They're like, he is somebody because he's doing these miracles and these wonders. Like, could he be? Could he be the Messiah? But how about you, Jesus asks. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, God gave Peter a personal revelation of who Jesus is. He showed him, hey, this isn't just some prophet. This isn't just somebody that I've sent, like, like I've sent before. This is my son. This is me in the flesh. This is God. Peter understood that, not by his own understanding, because he wasn't that smart. You can read the Bible. Peter had some issues, man. But God gave him this revelation of who he is. And it was so important that Peter understood this. He needed this revelation because Peter was going to go on to being the first leader of the church. He was going to start this, that we do who we are here. Peter started this. He was the rock on which Jesus built his church. But he couldn't do that unless he had a revelation of who Jesus is because he would have never given up his life for something he didn't know to be true. He wouldn't have been able to make the sacrifices and, and do the work that he needed to do unless he knew who Jesus was. Because our revelation of who Jesus is will determine how we respond to him and it'll determine how we live our lives. And that's what I wanna talk about this morning. I've, I've titled my message, Who Do You Say I Am? Who do you say I am? We need a revelation of who Jesus is. And our first, my first point today is how we see Jesus will determine our response to Jesus. So how we see Jesus will determine our response to Jesus. You see, on Palm Sunday, the crowd were, were all cheering and shouting, wow, we worship Jesus, we're worshiping Jesus, save us, Messiah. But that same crowd, only a few days later, were shouting, crucify him crucify him. So they were worshiping him, and then they wanted him dead. Like, what happened? They didn't understand who Jesus was. They didn't see Jesus. They wanted a military savior. They wanted, they, they already had an idea of who this Messiah would be. There was a picture in their mind, and Jesus did not fit that picture, because they wanted somebody to come in and save them from the oppression of the Romans. But Jesus didn't come guns blazing and like, you know, um, John Travolta style or what's his name? I don't know. He didn't come in like that. Okay, Jesus, I don't even know who I'm talking about. Okay, Jesus came in as a humble servant. They wanted him to conquer Rome like, a, like earthly kings would, but he didn't do that. He came in with love and grace 
and mercy and, as, and by giving his life as a sacrifice. That wasn't the picture that they had in their head, so they didn't see who he was. He came to bring true peace to their hearts. He came to save the world, not just their nation. And I love in, in Luke's account of the story, he tells of a part where um, he tells about as Jesus is coming down the mountain into Jerusalem, he, he, he says that Jesus wept for the city. He says he wept for the city because he was so sad that they weren't going to see him. And he actually said, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to, of peace, the way to peace. They didn't understand, and it made Jesus so sad. He was like, I'm doing this for you, but you don't even get it. And he knew Jerusalem was eventually going to be destroyed, and they're going to have to go through so much, and they're not going to understand why or how it's happening because they didn't see me. How we see Jesus will determine our response to Jesus. We need to make sure that we see Jesus. We don't want to miss it like they did. What are we missing today in our context? Do we have a picture of Jesus that's not accurate? Do we have, do we have Jesus in a box that fits our lives? It keeps us comfortable. It keeps us happy. Like we've got Jesus there and that's, and that's enough for us. But what if that's not Jesus? What if that's not the Jesus from the Bible? Guys, we need to see Jesus. And God's word says that when you seek me with your whole heart, there you will find me. We're not going to see Jesus unless we're seeking Jesus. And if we're not seeking Jesus, then we're not going to respond to Jesus the way that he wants to because we can only respond to Jesus when we actually see him. The way we see him determines our response to him. And where do we find Jesus? Well, we find some, sometimes we'll find him here at church when we're, when we're committing to coming week in, week out, and we're coming to learn God's word, and we're coming to, to get stirred up, and we're coming to be in his presence in worship. That's where we can find, that's where we find Jesus. We can find him in life group when we're sitting around with a group of people and we're discussing the scriptures, we're, we're learning about the practice of prayer, and we're, we're trying, to, trying to discover who Jesus is together. But most of all, most of all, we find Jesus in the secret place. When we actually take the stuff from here and the stuff from Life Group and we put it into practice, and we, t we find that space, that time to sit and to be with Jesus, where we're quiet. Peter needed a personal revelation. He got that from his time with God, his time with Jesus. Okay, Paul on the road to Damascus had an encounter with Jesus. I believe God had to blind him for three days so that he could see Jesus and no one else. He needed to see Jesus because God had a plan and a purpose for his life, but it wasn't going to be fulfilled unless he saw who Jesus was. Moses needed to see Jesus in the burning bush. How, where, where are you seeing Jesus? Are you living off of our revelation, of somebody else's revelation, or have you got a revelation of who Jesus is? When last have you heard his voice? When last have you, have you just sat in his presence and just felt that joy of like, oh, I don't want to leave. Man, this is so good. And just being with Jesus. Church, that is available to you, to every single person sitting in this room this morning and watching online. God is available. Jesus wants you to see him. 
He wants to be close to you. The word says closer than a brother. He is available, but we need to be able to see him. So we need to put the, put, create the space, create the time to be with Jesus and to get to know him. Because how we see him will determine our response to Jesus. And I do want to encourage you, come next week for the three days of prayer and worship. That is an, the perfect space to come and see Jesus. It's time where we just create space. There's no agenda. There's no, like, there's no preaching. There's no, there's no um, time limits. It's just space to worship, to hear from God, to hear his word, and to be with him. We need to ask Jesus to reveal himself to us. Secondly, our only appropriate response is to increasingly trust and obey. So when we see Jesus, when we see the Jesus of the Bible, not the, not the box that we might have created, but the real Jesus, when we see Jesus, our only appropriate response is to increasingly trust and obey. The more we see him, the more we want to obey him. The more we see him, the more we trust him because we see, oh, he is good. He is a good father. And we're able to give more of our lives over. We're able to give more of ourselves over to him. In the book of Colossians, um, in chapter one, it tells us that Jesus was there at the very beginning. That before the world was created, Jesus was there. It actually says that everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. Everything. He holds it all together. He is sovereign over all because Jesus is the Lord of all lords. He is the king of all kings. He is higher. No name is higher than the name of Jesus. That is the Jesus that we're talking about this morning. Holy, righteous, powerful, magnificent, supreme. This is the God. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. And when we see Jesus like that, when we see Jesus as king, and Lord, then our only appropriate response is to increasingly trust and obey him. But if we have a different picture of Jesus, and it's, it's easy to get, to get here because society doesn't have the right picture of Jesus, by the way. Like what you see in the movies, what you see on series, what you read online, even, even what some Christians post on social media <laughs> is not Jesus. Jesus is not a smart one-liner or a cliche. Jesus is the king of kings. And I think it's so easy for us to get the wrong picture of Jesus if we're not looking for him in the right places, if we're not hearing him. Okay, we, can, we can see Jesus as this genie lamp where we, like, where we own him. We've got him. He's ours. And when we need him, I'm just going to say a little prayer quick and poof. Like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I needed that peace today. And then I'm going to ignore him the rest of the week. And then I'm going to come on Sunday and I'm going to wrap that genie lamp. And, oh, I just, want to, I just really want a nice experience today in church. I want to feel something, Jesus. Can you just rock up here? And, it's, and Jesus does because he's gracious and he's kind and he wants to be with us. But that's not everything he has for us. There is so much more. He, we don't own Jesus. Jesus is not a religion that we've made up that we get to decide what he looks like, how much he gets. Jesus was there before the world was created. Jesus owns us. We are his. We are his creation. And when we see it like this, when we see Jesus as our king, our Lord, then, then the only thing we can do is like, 
Yes, Jesus. This is our response. Not, okay, Jesus, I'll keep you in my back pocket for when I need you. But everything. It's a surrendered life. It's saying, Jesus, you have everything of mine. You are everything to me. I recently heard God's voice quite clearly. I don't always hear him super clearly. There's, there's, you know, sometimes I'm like, was that God? I don't know. This time I was like, whew, that was God. And I had gone to the quiet place, to my secret place, and I was sitting in God's presence, and it was just the most amazing time in God's presence. And I hadn't had that type of experience in a while, and I was so desperate to hear God speak because the, the couple of months leading up to this, I was struggling with this turmoil of something that, that people were asking me to do, but I didn't want to do it. I was like, no, like it's unfair. I don't want to do this thing, and I, don't think, I didn't think it was God's will at all. And I was wrestling over this, and that day, sitting in God's presence, I heard him speak to me, and he called me to that very thing. And I remember being so surprised at my, at my um, response, because the first thing that came out of my mind was, yes, Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow. Like, those exact words just came out, wherever you lead, I will follow. And I remember being like, oh, yes, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm on board, you know. But there was no, like, there was no negativity in me. There was no pushback. There was no, like, oh, okay, God, if you want me. No, it was like, yes. It was like my heart was just so surrendered to him because I heard his voice. And since then, everything has changed. It's like this weight has been lifted off of me, and there's no fighting anymore. There's no, I'm just willing to step wherever because I'm like, God, if it's your will, if this is what you're asking me to do, of course, like, of course, because I trust you. I know you. I know that you would never call me to do something that is going to be bad for me. Like, and, it's, and if you're calling me to do something, it's going to bring you glory and honor. And that's my heart's desire, is to honor you and to glorify you. So I will do whatever you ask me to do. And I think that's the response. When we see Jesus... When we have a personal revelation of Jesus, our response is, yes, Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow. And then lastly, it's when we see Jesus, we want to share Jesus. When we, share, when, when we see Jesus, we want to share Jesus. When Jesus has changed our lives, like when he's, when he's really changed our lives, and we've seen who this Jesus is, we can't, we can't keep it to ourselves. We don't, we don't just treat it like a religion where we're like, oh, no, I don't want to convert anyone, you know. They've got their thing. Leave them. Let, I'm ha- if you're happy, I'm happy. You do you. I'll do me. That's religion, guys. We're not trying to convert people to a religion. We have medicine. People are sick. We have the medicine that is going to heal them that is going to set them free, that is going to bring salvation, healing, life to them. We have this medicine, and we're walking into a sick world. How can we not share it with them? How can we not be like, hey, I know what's going to help you. Here, I know, look, look what he's done for me. He can do the same for you. We, we're not... We're not trying to convince people to, to shift religions or to change something in their minds. We have Jesus, and we get to share him with the world. And when we really see Jesus, we can't help but share him with the world. 
And if, we, if he hasn't changed you in that way, if you don't have an experience where you're like, oh, or maybe you're sitting here and thinking, but I don't even know what I would share. Like, what has he done for me? Then I want to I encourage you or invite you, find Jesus. Seek Jesus. See Jesus. Because when you see him, then it shifts everything. It changes your response to him. It changes who you are. It changes the way you live your life. And it changes how you want to share that with others. So how we see Jesus will determine our response to Jesus. We need to get into that secret place and see him. And then when we see him like that, our only appropriate response is to increasingly trust and obey him. And when we see Jesus, we want to share Jesus. I want to tell you about my Jesus this morning. The Jesus from the Bible that I've met in my life. You see, Jesus is my good shepherd. He came and spoke life over me when I was at my most broken. When I'd been battered and bruised by the world, he came and he found me. And he spoke life over me. And he fixed my broken heart and he put me back together. And then he took all my bad choices and he redeemed them. And he, and he used them for his glory. All those things that caused me shame. He took them and he redeemed them. And, he, and he's using them. And he's still using them today for his glory. He's the one who guides me and leads me. He's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When I don't know which way to go, it's my Jesus that shines his light and shows me where to go. And he leads me to a life that is victorious, a life that is full, a life of wonder. And when in this complicated world I feel lost or I feel afraid, it's my Jesus that I can go to. And he listens to me and he's a shelter for me. He's my rock on which I can build my life. And it's a firm foundation, one that is unshakable. He gives me peace and joy when life just throws hardships and confusion and just just hard. Like he is my joy. He is my peace. And he is the one that pushes me to be all that I can be. He doesn't leave me the same. He's constantly encouraging me towards growth, helping me to become more and more like Him. He molds me and shapes me, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's not nice, and I don't enjoy it. But He's molding me and shaping me into His image. And it makes me a better person. Jesus makes me a better person. He's my refuge in time of need. He's the joy of the Lord is my strength. He's who strengthens me when I feel weak. He's the prince of peace. He's the vine. In him, I experience and produce more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And the more I see this Jesus from the Bible, the more I trust him. And the more I'm willing to surrender my life to him. 
and my life is better for it. And so this morning, my heart for you is that you would know him personally and intimately, that you would know this Jesus that I know and love with all my heart, that I'm willing to lay my life down completely for him because I've grown to trust him completely. He is kind. He is patient. He is gentle. He is loving. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's king. And he wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. And I want to read this this prayer over you this morning. This is the prayer that I've been praying this week for you. And I want to read it over you as we close. And then I want to to invite you guys just to stand. I want to read this over you. If you know Jesus, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, then this is my prayer for you this morning. It's from Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19. It says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he would empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Oh, may God make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Come on, may your roots grow down into God's love so that he can keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. God, I ask you for this, for all of us here today. God, that you'd help us to see you. God, we don't want to make up, make up something in our mind of who we think you are. We don't want to put you in a box, God, in a neat box that comes out maybe once or twice a week. God, we want you to consume our lives. God, we want you to have everything. If that's your prayer this morning, then I want to encourage you just to lift your hands up. This is a sign of surrender, and it's just saying, God, I give you my life. God, I give you all of me. Lord, I might be scared because I don't know what you're going to ask of me. God, I might not want to see all of you because I'm afraid of what that will cost me. But you are generous. God, we can't outgive you. You fill us more than you would ever take from us. Life with you is good, Jesus. You care for us. You don't even ask us to give up everything at one time. You're patient. And so, God, we lift up our hands as a sign of surrender, and we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come and have your way in our lives. We give you our hearts. We give you our marriages. We give you our relationships. We give you our futures. We give you our presence. God, we give you our minds, our hands, our feet, our finances. God, we give it all to you because you are king. You are Lord. We put you as king in our lives. We put you on a throne in our lives, Jesus. Help us to follow you. And for anybody that's here this morning that doesn't have that relationship with God, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, then I want to invite you to make him Lord of your life. 
Will it cost you? Yes. Will, will, will it change you? Will it change the way that you live? Yes. But will it be amazing? Yes. Life with God is sweet, is the word I get. It's so sweet. It's amazing. It's fulfilling. It's complete. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 